Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Yeah, this is a form of warfare, and we saw this once before in the 1980s when you had the Iran-Iraq war. You had what was called the tanker war. And what was happening is Iran was seeking to drive up the insurance rates, because if you can't have insurance for these vastly expensive tankers, you're not going to sail where you don't have insurance. And so let there be no mistake, what we're seeing right now is the Houthi rebels are a proxy of the Islamic Republic of Iran. They're using weaponry supplied by the People's Republic of China. Uh, And our response has been underwhelming, which is why it keeps happening, Steve. One last important thing is unless we go to the source and do like we did in 1988 with Operation Praying Mantis, which I was a part of the planning of the year before in the Reagan administration, unless we go to the source and exact pressure directly on Iran, this will continue. Now, I I think it's important that your viewers understand that Iran has a communications command control and intelligence ship in the Red Sea right now that is coordinating these uh, illegal attacks against international shipping. And of course they're illegal attacks. That's Chuck DeVore, friend of the show, a very, very good guy from the Texas uh, Public Policy Institute, discussing these attacks from the Houthi rebels in the Red Sea. These attacks are going without response from the United States. There is now an an operation called Operation Prosperity Guardian. This isn't the United States responding. This is some conglomeration of nations, Britain, Bahrain, Canada, France, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Seychelles, and Spain. A 39-nation combined maritime force to try and stop the Houthi rebels who are Iran to try and stop them from taking these cargo ships and these and and these oil ships and basically controlling the seas it doesn't matter your air force it doesn't matter your military navy will always matter and there is no m- amount of technology that will replace the aircraft carrier deep blue tony katz tony katz today 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony. Let me say it again. All the technology in the world, you can utilize a lot of it to replace your Air Force and engage drone technology. You can use a tremendous amount of technology to deal with fighting on the ground. You have to allow for ships to pass. And that involves other ships with guns pointed. Aircraft carriers change the advantage and the United States and their aircraft carrier capability is stunning. China is desperately trying. They're growing. They're building. They can go deep blue. They figured out ski jump technology, which is how the plane uh, takes off from, from the deck. They don't have the configuration capability of the United States, nor are they experts in landing. Landing a moving plane on a moving boat is what they call in the business not easy. But without a Navy to ensure the safety of the seas, you don't have safety. That's why here, while we certainly don't talk about it daily, we talk about the need for over 300 ships. We're not there. We need to be better, faster, quicker. That's why when we talked about uh, the USS Baham Richard in San Diego and that fire that broke out, that was set 
And because they were doing repairs on the ship, they were not able to close off sections to keep the fire contained. It took the ship billions of dollars in damage. This thing is done. That is a massive hit to our Navy. We need to re-up our Navy. We need to re-up our Navy well. And now, and we have allowed ourselves to be attacked by these Houthi rebels. The Houthi rebels are supported by Iran. It's a proxy. This has been going on in Yemen, a proxy war between Iran and, and Saudi Arabia. This is a Sunni-Shia conversation vis-a-vis Islam. But they have been trained, they have been armed, and they have been taking ships. You now have uh, shipping groups like Maersk, M-A-E-R-S-K, completely rerouting because of what's going on in the Red Sea. And you have the absolute recognition that this is a total embarrassment for the United States. Now, that's always a very double-edged sword. I don't know what sometimes people mean by embarrassment, except that they want to be able to possibly write that the United States is embarrassed or should be embarrassed uh, because they, they think it's going to get them a click or, or it's going to make some kind of, of movement. I think it is a, a, a bit different. In what society does one allow Iran via a proxy to decide for the United States how the seas work? On what planet is this allowed when Iranian uh, rebel ships were, were, were trying to take those uh, in the Straits of Hormuz, whether it's oil tankers or what have you? How could we have just sat by and allowed it for a second? If only to stop it, to be able to show and remind that U.S. dominance is real. What is the win in not doing anything? that's a worthy question. And if one wants to argue that that is the humiliation, that's fine. Rich Lowry tries to make this argument over at National Review. Uh, it, it's not that he's wrong in, in content. I think we, we, we need to have a bigger conversation. The Biden administration is the humiliation. This willingness to let it happen But let's be clear, there are also people on the political right who are totally fine with these kinds of things. I believe we should arm Ukraine. I don't mind giving them bullets and I don't mind giving them tanks. I do mind throwing good money after bad. I do mind not knowing where the money is going. And I sure as bloody heck mind the idea that somehow I'm going to pay for somebody's retirement fund. I don't pay for retirement funds in Ukraine. I pay to ensure veterans from the United States have a place to live. When we have housed the last homeless veteran that we can house, then we can talk about Ukraine. But not a second before. But if the question is, do we send them bullets to keep fighting off the Russians and keep a stalemate alive? Yes, because I think a stalemate is good for the United States and it hurts Russia. And that's better for us, I believe, in the long run. For that mathematics, I will get called a neocon. And my answer is these people can kiss my neocon. 
I'm sorry. I said that wrong. I said that wrong, producer Jason. I said they could kiss my neocon. I meant my neocon ass. That's the see. You see what I did there? See, I got now the fact that I'm not a neocon is inconsequential to these people are going to call me a neocon. What does it matter? I have put forth a theory. And the rationale for my theory is that I think it's better to keep Russia disrupted. I think it's more valuable. And certainly, I want them in the world to see that, look, we can just hand them bullets. Here you go. Here you go. Here you go. We could do this all day. What, you, 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 think this is a, you think this is a problem for us? This is nothing for us. Absolutely, positively Nothing for us. Don't be ridiculous. Don't be a fool. We could just keep this going and going and going. That's how we should be handling the seas. We do not allow other nations to set the rules because it does have an effect. It does have an effect on, well, everything. It has an effect on how we deal with other nations. It has an effect on how other nations see us. These things matter we should be showing that simply you can't screw with us it's not you're not even time we'll take you out we'll take you out we'll take you out boom bop bip but to do that you need willpower you need willingness you need a trained military to do it why aren't we doing it And how come, on the political right, I haven't heard outrage on this subject? Is it because, just like Ukraine, oh, what does that matter? That's not our problem. What, are we going to get involved in another war? Don't be silly. I think that the people who are are completely unwilling uh, in in, in the conversation of Ukraine and these other places have bought into a... uh, a, a, a lack of morality and are now phrasing it somehow as uh, valuable to the United States. We're not going to spend our, our blood and our treasure like that. That's just not what we do. We're more interested in saving lives. That's what they say. That's what they say. I'm not with them. And I think that there is as much happening here regarding the political right as there is the political left. Because with the political left, you have to be talking about Joe Biden. And the answer is they aren't moving on these things, in my view, because they don't want to be seen as showing some level of what support for Israel. Now, I know there's this New York Times piece, this polling over there at, at the Times, where the Times wants to say, you see, Biden is having problems connecting because young people think he's too supportive of Israel. And Jim Garrity writes about this. And, and, and you take a look at, at where that, that position is uh, and, and, and how this is an issue. It's like 1%. But the New York Times wants to phrase it as, look at the big problem that Biden has uh, regarding the Middle East. 
See, I think that the problem is is that the, the polling itself doesn't actually do a strong enough job in explaining how much of a problem this is. Biden ha- does have a Middle East problem. And to say that he doesn't or to say that it's small, with all due respect, I think is laughable. Never mind the fact that the New York Times may or may not be able to be able to do a proper poll. But I, if you were to, to try and convince me that movement or lack thereof uh, is, is just because of generalized incompetence, it's certainly possible. Right? Uh, what is this? Godwin's Wall? Is it Godwin's? No, it's not Godwin's Law. It's Hanlon's Razor. Um, Hanlon's razor is never put uh, to malice what could be put to stupidity. Godwin's law is that the longer an internet conversation goes, uh, the opportunity for a mention of Hitler approaches one. Right? It's, it's, it's eventually going to, 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 to come up. Sometimes it's just stupidity and not malice. And certainly it's possible that the reason the Biden administration doesn't ensure that the seas are, are navigable is because they are incompetent. I put forth to you that there is a calculus at play, in my view, because Biden is not strong on Israel. I'm sick and tired of hearing that one. That he is not making movement, not engaged in action, because it might be seen as supportive of Israel. And I am stunned not by the fact that Joe Biden is a coward and will kowtow to the progressives who support Hamas, which makes up, of course, large swaths of his party, whether it be Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, Andre Carson, Jamal Bowman, Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, etc. I mean, that's that's just fact. But I am amazed that there has been such silence on the right. We're letting this happen? But the answer is, when you are unwilling to project the strength, when you're unwilling to say, yeah, we can handle this, well, when you think that that is a a vice, not a virtue, you won't do it. And I think, therefore, it becomes a problem. Tony, we can't afford to do everything. I wholeheartedly agree. But what about what we can afford to do and we should afford to do? What about what we can afford to do and we should afford to do? We're having a whole foreign policy conversation, aren't we? Aren't we? The Houthi rebels cannot be in charge because Iran cannot be in charge. They can't be in charge. They got to get smacked down. I'm just wondering when we're going to start smacking. And I wonder why some people are so afraid of opening up their hand and delivering one right across the face. Where does that get us? I'm not saying that everybody should look like a nail if you are indeed a hammer. I'm asking, can we not even be strategic? Have we given that up? And what do we actually win? What do we gain? How are we better? I'm Tony Katz, and this is Tony Katz Today. In Chicago, I'm a little late to this story, I I know, and I apologize. Uh, The mayor, Brandon Johnson, uh, uh, a uh, communist. What? 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 
I think I said it right. He wants to put an end to basically gifted and talented programs. Uh, he wants to put an end to classes where kids are able to get ahead because they have a skill set. Why? Because that would be equity. Anyone who doesn't understand that DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, is about hate, it hates the student, it hates the self, it doesn't want people to get ahead. Getting ahead is in and of itself bigotry. So you've got, you know, while you've got a terrible system in in, in Chicago, you've got 11 selective enrollment high schools where kids who are better at pick pick their, their academics go. And Brandon Johnson said when he was running for mayor, he wasn't going to touch these things. And now they are going to uh, move as they've approved a resolution that would eliminate the opportunity to test into the high-achieving schools. The transformational strategic plan, oh, holy hell, requires students to attend high schools within their neighborhoods. So the whole top-performing schools thing is over. So the kids who have the ability uh, to do more and be pushed, they don't do more, they don't get pushed. DEI is bigotry. That's what it is. James O'Keefe with the story regarding IBM and through their group Red Hat explaining how whiteness works. These are actual slides. Blindness. White people don't know what we don't know. So what we do get carefully taught is what's passed down. Lies and omissions of the truth get equal billing in what we are taught. And that blindness leads to power. White is the default. Everything else exists in proximity to it. Whiteness constructs the game, hides the rules, then rigs the game over and over again. And that leads to divide and conquer. Spaces are determined by race. Those spaces focus inward. Non-white spaces are easily othered and then judged accordingly. This is, this is what gets taught in, 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 in school. So what's been under the microscope, they say? Black behaviors and black culture and black history and black oppression and black celebrity and black art and black stories. But what's the real problem? White judgment and white theft and white history and white supremacy and white allowance and white elitism and white censorship and oh, holy hell. Oh, holy hell. This is what they teach. This is what's going on in, in, in corporations. And this is what's going on in the classroom. Remember, we take, we take a look at Harvard. 17% down in their admissions, by the way. Because now people realize, eh, it's not a place I want to go. That's, that's the truth. Who would want to go? A school run by a professional bigot in Claudine Gay. She was trained to do this. She was, she was hired for this purpose. You go back to her work as dean of faculty. Read Christopher Rufo in City Journal. Just to get an idea, a primer of everything we've been talking about. And now in Chicago, we can't have high-performing schools. That's bigotry. Can't have kids uh, actually excelling in math. Can you? This is Tony Katz today. 
The border is the top story in America. We only talk about it all the time. Everything we did last week with Border Week, presented by Americans for Prosperity, talking about the, the issues with uh, the wall, what people don't understand about it, the, the factors that, that pull people to the United States, the policy failures in multiple areas, and, and most importantly, that you can't get Congress to come together on this. You can't get people to come to the table, that there's far more of an interest when it comes to the border in having the problem than in solving the problem. But the problem is, we're the ones dealing with it. We deal with the fentanyl. We deal with the the economic disaster. And now uh, what we're seeing over these last weeks in places we don't normally see them, like Lukeville, Arizona, and places throughout where it's much harder to get to, we are seeing massive surges. So much so that rail service to these ports of entry have now been stopped. Tony Katz, good to be with you. Tony Katz today. Griff Jenkins joins us from foxnews.com, who's been covering the border before anybody even thought it was cool to do. He's in D.C. right now where he's been uh, gathering the information and speaking to his sources uh, on the ground. I do want to get into this Lukeville situation because it's just, it's not a name you hear about. It's not a place you talk about when it comes to the border. But lately, we're talking about the past 72, 96 hours. This has been a surreal amount of people. What is it that Border Patrol is experiencing? So, Tony, uh, thanks for having me because it is so important to be talking right now. I have been covering along with my colleague Bill Malusian for years now, uh, and certainly in the last two-plus years of this, what Border Patrol agents tell me is an unmitigated disaster on the border. But, but today... When you see on Fox the shots from Eagle Pass, Texas, where they have, and I was just there for 10 days, just came back to Washington, hopefully get the lawmakers in this town to pay a little bit of attention, you have got a situation where they have never experienced this in a single day ever. This administration, Tony, and I'm not one given for hyperbole, but this administration is allowing the Border Patrol to be pushed to a breaking point, the likes of which they've never seen. In Eagle Pass, under that bridge, all those migrants, they told me this morning they've got 4,500-plus that are being processed and transported to a facility called Firefly, intended to house just under 2,000. They've already got 5,300 in custody there. The number of Border Patrol agents, on the ground there, dealing with that on this shift this morning is 20. You got 10,000 migrants that are having to be dealt with by 20 agents. That's 200 to one and worse. The capacity in that facility is 260% over, which means they can't go into the giant temporary tents they built. They're stuck in the overflow yard at the facility where they're trying to deal with them, to transport them, process them, and ultimately send them somewhere else, most of which will be released into the U.S. with a notice to appear with a court date years from now, and that's going to be increasingly accelerated in, in the next coming days because it's not just an Eagle Pass where I was. You mentioned Lukeville. In Lukeville, they're getting hammered. In the last 24 hours across the entire southwest border, I reported this this morning, there was more than 12,600 migrant encounters, the highest number ever hit. The previous one set last week was 12,300. They've now topped that by 300 more. 
in Lukeville, Arizona, which is part of the Tucson sector. Last 24 hours, more than 3,000 there. And most of those aren't from countries like Mexico, Honduras, Guatemala, where we typically have been dealing with them. They're from Africa. These are people that take an enormously larger amount of effort to process because they're coming from so far away when they're from places like Syria, Lebanon, Egypt, Iran, Russia. They're special interest migrants, which means they get a secondary uh, uh, probe to see if they're a match to the terror screening database, and they have to be detained, but there's no place to hold them. So they're literally just being held in, in, in a field where you're seeing it. This, this is a breaking point that is far beyond sustainable, and it's only getting worse with more and more coming. Why is that? Well, the reason is because the transnational criminal organizations or cartels realize how much of a breaking point this is, and they're exploiting our vulnerabilities, all because this administration's policies that have brought this on us. And so today is unlike any other day. We've seen it day after day become a crisis, but today is, is the worst of all the days. So imagine you had a two and a half year bad situation. Well, it's the worst today than it was ever. Eagle Pass, Texas, Lukeville, Arizona, you pointed out exactly correctly, Tony. These are tiny little areas that didn't see this. In December of 2022, last year, there was barely 600, 700 tops migrant encounters in either of those places. Now you're looking at a daily average of 3,000 plus on the Eagle Pass right now. And this, you got upwards of 5,000 that just crossed. And this, Griff, is exactly the question, talking to Griff Jenkins uh, of Fox News. Someone saw this. These people aren't crossing in these areas by accident. It, 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 it seems obvious to those of us who, who are not as connected as you are even, uh, that people are crossing specifically because these areas are easier places to cross or have more opportunity to get people into the country. So the question is, who's informing these people to cross in these spots? Without a doubt, this is as organized, as uh, uh, assembly line driven with Amazon efficiency, I would tell you, by the cartels, by the TCOs. And I will say, because I, I do have so many contacts in Mexico, I, I feel it's important to point out it's not true that Mexico is just looking the other way. They have tried, but their INM, which is Mexico's version of the Border Patrol, they're out of money. They literally ran out of money because the crisis has so broken them. They're done. There's very little they can even do if they wanted to. Now, there is some fair criticism that there's a lack of will in, in, in knocking it down in Mexico, but it's not entirely a lack of will. But what's happened now, because the crisis has gone on for so long, they're out of resources altogether, so they can't help us even if they wanted to. And so that's allowed on the Mexican side for the migrants to be completely organized and controlled by cartels because they're at their, at their whim. And most of them have traveled for months 
and they've been robbed or they're out of money, they're poor, they're completely at the disposal of the cartels. So, of course, they're going to go exactly where they should go. But here's the problem. And it's what my friend, a Mexican independent journalist, Auden Cabello, calls it the stealthy factor. At the end of the day, for the crisis we're talking about, draining so many resources, all of these migrants, most of them you saw in, in, in these drone photos, as soon as they crossed in the U.S., they took a selfie, sent it back to family and friends who were thinking about making that trip, put it on Facebook. The message sent to those behind them that will soon be coming, it said, come on, I made it. I got across the finish line. You can too. It's like me running a marathon knowing you want to run the marathon, Tony, and you knew I wasn't in great shape, but I finished it, and I'm standing there with my medal smiling ear to ear saying, I did it. You can too, Tony. Come on. Talking to Griff Jenkins from Fox News Channel, uh, co-anchor of Fox News Live there on, on weekends. We keep hearing from the administration that uh, the border is not in crisis and they're fixing a broken system. Um, you uh, writing about this, talking about how migrant encounters is just a few days ago, top $10,000, $10,000, 10,000 people in, in a, a single day. This is all happening right now as the prologue to the Republicans in the House. Talk about your work there uh, in, in D.C. and in the Senate saying we're not going to engage any Ukraine funding until there's border funding. You have James Langford of Oklahoma, uh, the senator leading part uh, of, of that charge. Is there resolve amongst Chuck Schumer and the Democrats to accept the idea that money is going to have to flow to the border because this situation is seen by the American people and polling and other things as wholly untenable? Yeah, I look, there is, I think it's fair to say, Tony, there is undoubtedly now a recognition on Capitol Hill from Chuck Schumer in the Senate to Democrats all across the House that are recognizing, you know what? To heck with how this affects the, the, the president and my fellow Democrat incumbent in his polls. I'm not going to get reelected if I do nothing. And it's clear that the only thing that is going to offset the inaction of the federal government is going to be some congressional resolve. And, you know, I think that once Republicans were willing to die on the hill of Ukraine funding for something to be done, you're, you're starting to see the contours of an actual Senate bill, which, you know, uh, of course does the funding. And look, even with a priority on mass releases, you still need more agents because I just gave you the 200 to 120 agents dealing it's with frightening 5, number, man. migrants. But, but, but here's, the, here's the rub, and this is the point. Even if the contours of a Senate bill are starting to come with a higher level uh, threshold for credible fear factor for asylum all the way uh, to, to, to mass deportations and, and all of that and, and faster asylum hearings, you're still dealing with the House Republicans who passed this H.R. 2, which is way farther than the Senate will. So ultimately, you're going to have this, well, we tried and we couldn't get there, which has been the history of any kind of immigration reform in Washington for the last two decades. 
And so I have little faith that they're going to get anything done, even if they passed a Senate bill, that it can pass the House right now. And that's just unfortunate for the country. It's facing a national security threat, not my words. That's what basically every Border Patrol official has told me for the last year and a half. But it's also uh, uh, dreadful news for those men and women in green of the Border Patrol from Texas through Arizona to California that are just exhausted and overwhelmed dealing with this crisis, knowing there's real no sign of things changing anytime soon. Before I let you go, really quick, you talk about possibly not seeing movement in, in, in the House. You've got Representative Henry Cuellar, Democrat from Texas, who's been very clear that we need more work done on the border. You have people talking about the border in terms of the, the citizenry. There's no pressure on those uh, Democrat members of the House to try and, and, and make a move here? No pressure coming from the people when you see this, your reporting, this kind of reporting? 200 to no, one. I think you're, I think you're right. I, I think there's, I think there's great pressure and it's even growing on Democrats like Henry Cuellar, who's tried to walk the fine line and has called, uh, for, for more to be done. But, but, but at the end of the day, you have to recognize there's a progressive Hispanic caucus in, in Congress that sees what's happening on our border and says, this is fantastic. Let them all in, let more in, and let's change the laws so that they can just quickly get to uh, a, a legal pathway through some new means we'll create. And that's what we need to do because the system was broken under Trump. And hey, if you are a migrant that spent you know, years and thousands of dollars to do it the legal way. I mean, that was then, this is now, you should have just waited and crossed illegally and do the fast track version. That's what they, that's what they want. And Democrats are stuck between, wait a minute, which option on the menu do, does my constituents want? And I think, you know, sadly, the, the dirty truth is we're not going to know the answer to that until after November elections next year. Griff Jenkins, Fox News, Fox News Live. Catch him there every weekend. His work, of course, in D.C. and on the border. Griff, an absolute pleasure as always. Stay safe and, and Merry Christmas to you. More coming up. I'm Tony Katz. Merry Christmas. Told you John Fetterman was going to have words. And by the way, John Fetterman has words, not just words, sentences that make sense when it comes to U.S. steel selling to Nippon steel to Japan for 41, not 41, 14.1 billion dollars. We knew Western Pennsylvania would have an issue. We knew Pennsylvania would have a problem with this. We knew the politicos would be speaking out. And Senator Fetterman made the video. I'm standing on the roof of my home right here in Braddock, Pennsylvania, right across the street from the Edgar Thompson plant. And I just have to say it's absolutely outrageous that they have sold themselves to a foreign nation and a company. Can't do that. Steel is always about security as well, too. And I am committed to doing anything I can do from using my platform or my position in order to block this. And I'm going to fight for the steel workers and their union way of life here as well, too. And we cannot ever allow them to be screwed over or left behind. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Good to be with you. Uh, somebody had uh, sent me a, a tweet, a post on, on X. Uh, the stroke fixed him. 
Now, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's true. And I'll say it again. That man should not have been senator. That man was not healthy. That man was not well. Lately, you can at least argue he's coherent. I don't know if I want to be the guy who stops all purchases of all companies. But there is a question to be asked about even Japan, clearly an ally, purchasing U.S. steel. Certainly, as he has spoken out about, just like we have, China is not allowed to own any U.S. companies at all in any way. China cannot own land in the United States. And he has been unbelievably staunch in his support of Israel and his opposition to the bigotry and the Hamas lovers out there. And you're like, what, what am I watching? What is happening? Look, he's a union guy, union town. Uh, of course, he's going to question uh, th this deal. The point is this deal should be questioned. It should. It should. Uh, if you say to me, well, Tony, you're not much of a capitalist. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> and whoa. Foreign policy matters. National security matters. And it's very hard to have a capitalist nation if you allow other people to pick you apart. So just for clarity, I can fight this fight and I'll win. But it's going to be more than Fetterman who are saying this this sale of U.S. Steel going to lead to a lot of questions and maybe there's an issue. Find everything at TonyKatz.com. This is Tony Katz Today.